Jesus, right now, at this very moment, I can tell you where he is. He's there before the right hand of God the Father, and he's praying for you if you are his child. Well, again, good morning to you, and if you would open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6. Last week we looked at two verses, this week we're going to look at one. We're not setting any land speed records, are we? Mark chapter 6, I am going to uh, pick it up just a little bit here in verse uh, 45. It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethesda while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Last time we considered the importance of getting away and spending time with the Lord, um, the importance of fellowship with our Creator. And today we're going to focus especially on verse 26, verse 46, I'm sorry, because I'm thinking that probably prayer is the single most neglected of all the spiritual disciplines. We might pick up our Bible and read it. Maybe we have a devotional book on the dining room table or the kitchen table and we try to keep up with that. But to pray, well, we might do it at the, the mealtime, you know, God is great, God is good, and we thank you for our food, amen. That's great for children, because it helps them to understand that they need to thank God, and that he is great, and we need to be grateful to him, and he is the one who does provide our daily needs, the food that we need, and the, uh, the clothes, and the house that we live in, and all of those things. But if that's the extent of our prayer life, um, we have a lot of growing to do. So this morning, we're going to focus on that. Prayer was vital to the ministry and indeed to the human life of Jesus. Now remember, when we speak about Jesus Christ, we're talking about God who has come in the flesh. And, and though he is 100% God, he is also 100% human, but without sin. We are human, aren't we? But we are fallen creatures. We have a sin nature. There is that which is within us that, that desires to do wrong things. That was not true for Jesus. He had no sin nature whatsoever. But he had and still has a completely perfect human nature. And it was necessary for Jesus when he walked on this earth to still have fellowship with his heavenly father. It was especially important in his humanity. And we see Jesus praying frequently, and we'll, we'll look at some of those things a little bit later today. But prayer was just a vital part of the life of Jesus. There's no way in a human perspective that he could have endured all that he endured on the cross if he had not been a man of prayer. And it wasn't just at the cross that he prayed. It was 
I'm sure, throughout his life. When he was 12 years old and went up to Jerusalem with his parents, typically it was at the age of 12 when young boys would go up with their, their fathers three times a year to worship at the temple. And this, after his 12th birthday, was probably the first time he went up there. A big crowd of people, lots of family members and so forth. Thousands and thousands of people there. You maybe remember the story that Jesus stayed behind. His folks thought he was with some other family members when they left Jerusalem. And uh, after all, he was 12. He was a son of the covenant. He was, he was a young man in the eyes of the law, and he was responsible for himself. And surely he would be with the other family members. And so they get a whole day's journey away. They realize he's not there. They have to turn around and go back. Jesus, in reply to his mom's question about, you know, why have you treated us this way, says this, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? He wasn't talking about Joseph because Joseph was only his foster father. Joseph was not his father. It was the power of God that caused Mary to become pregnant and to give birth to the son of God. And at 12 years of age, Jesus understood clearly who he was and what his purpose was. And even at that age, and I'm sure before, he had become a person of prayer. Constantly, constantly in communion with his heavenly Father. Notice it says that when Jesus had sent the people away, the context here is he's just finished feeding probably between 15 and 20,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children. So he's, he's sent his disciples away, you know, go across the lake there. He sent all the people away. Um, they they kind of wanted to make him a king, but he wasn't going to have that. So he sends all the people away. And now Jesus goes up to the mountaintop that was right there nearby to pray, to spend time with his Father. Jesus gives us a little insight into the importance of prayer, and I would invite you to take your marker, put it there in Mark chapter 6, we're coming back to it, but join me over in Matthew chapter 6. We prayed it together this morning, and I appreciate that, Terry. Thank you for helping us to remember that. We should probably do that a lot more often than what we do. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but really it's the disciples' prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. It's a model. And as you recited that, hopefully you were thinking about the categories that were being set forward in that model. It's kind of like a template. There's nothing magical about this. You know, it's not like you, well, let's see, if I, if I do a uh, hundred Our Fathers, then that, that's good, that, that gets me in, in good with God. No, 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 that's, that's not it. This is no magical formula, but it's a teaching tool. And it shows us what kinds of things are on God's heart that we ought to be praying about. Let's uh, listen, please, as I read. Start, I'm gonna start in verse nine. Jesus is teaching there, and he says, So in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The prayer begins with an acknowledgement. It acknowledges our Father. He is our creator. He is the one who sustains us. Just as an earthly father in fulfilling his role is supposed to provide and protect his family and provide for their needs and give them guidance in times of trial and so forth, that's what our Heavenly Father, the perfect father, does for his children all the time. He provides, he cares for them, he protects them, he gives wisdom, he gives counsel, he gives instruction, all of those things. He brings discipline when we need it. He is our Father, but He is in heaven. He is not like earthly fathers. Every single earthly father is flawed. Sorry, guys, but we are. You know, that's just the way things are. Because we are human beings, we are flawed. But God is not. He is in heaven. And because He is in heaven and we are on earth, we need to recognize that we are dependent upon Him, that we need to humble ourselves before Him and allow Him to work in us and through us to accomplish His good purposes. And He is most willing to do that. And dads, that ought to encourage your hearts. You know, you have a, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have a Heavenly Father who is willing to use you in the role that he has placed you in to accomplish his good purposes. And then there's some requests. After we acknowledge that God's in heaven and we're on earth and he's important and you know we're, we're not quite so much, we have some requests. Number one, hallowed be your name. Anybody use that word in a sentence this past week? Uh, I didn't think so. That's an old word, isn't it? And it means, may your name be regarded as holy, as different, as distinct, as set apart, to be regarded as holy. But how many times do we in our daily activities hear the, the very name of God, the creator of the universe, used in a blasphemous way? We do. We hear it all the time. I hope it never comes from your lips. I hope you don't just flippantly use the name of God as either a curse or just an expression of, of unthinking exasperation or something like that. I, I hope you do not use the name of God in vain. But it goes way beyond that. We use God's name in vain when we represent ourselves as Christians and then we live like the world. You ever think about that? When we represent ourselves as being Christian, but we live by the standards of the world, we are blaspheming God's name. We are taking God's name in vain. We are claiming for ourselves something that is not a reality, and we're claiming it in the name of God. And that, beloved, angers God. That angers him because we're not speaking the truth. We're not living the truth. So this prayer, this very first prayer request comes right home 
to me, comes right home to you, comes right home to where we live. God, may your name, the very mention of your name, may that be regarded as holy, set apart, distinct, different from what the standards of this world are. Prayer request number two, your kingdom come. Jesus, when he stood before Pilate, heard this question from Pilate, are you a king? And Jesus said, you're right, I am, and my kingdom is not of this world. We're part of the kingdom of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, he is not just your savior, he is also your king. He is your ultimate ruler, your potentate, the one who has control and authority in your life. And as citizens of the kingdom, we should desire that the king should return to the place of his kingdom in all of his splendor and glory. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. That's what Daniel talks about. That's what Isaiah talks about. That's what Jeremiah talks about. That's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 25, 24, 25. It's the coming of the king to the place of his kingdom. When was the last time we prayed that Jesus Christ would come and establish his kingdom? It's going to be serious business because he's going to deal with all those who do not want him to come and they are not going to fare very well at all. And he is going to reward all those who are looking for his coming and desiring his coming. And that's going to be a time of great joy. But does that enter into our prayer life third request your will be done on earth as it is in heaven when god gives a command in heaven the angels move they don't form a committee they don't say when well, i wait a minute, let's think about this when god speaks they listen and they move wouldn't it be nice if we were that obedient to our heavenly father that when we read something in the pages of scripture and we know because of the convicting spirit of God within us that we need to do this or that or we need to stop doing this or that, that instantly we would do it. Now we're all late. Instantly we would do it. With perfect obedience. I know, you're just like me, you struggle too. I'm not always perfectly obedient. But that ought to be part of our prayer. Because, beloved, if it's not, it'll never change. Prayer changes things. And one of the things that prayer changes, the biggest thing that prayer changes is me, you, the one who's doing the praying. So already we're praying that God's name will be regarded as holy, that he would be honored in all things and acknowledged as being the Holy One that his kingdom would come and that we would be obedient. Does that sound like our normal prayer life? He goes on, and in verse 4 he says, or the fourth item here, give us this day our daily bread. The idea here is that, God, whatever it is that we need for today, give us today what we need for today. But that's not the American way, is it? The American way is to make sure that you plan for 
your retirement at least 50 years into the future because you never know how much money you're going to need. So, so store it up, save it up, invest it, spend it wisely. Um, you know, plan for our cupboards are full, right? You probably still have toilet paper left over from COVID-19. Yeah, our cupboards are full. Do we really mean, God, give me today what I need for today? Now, I'm no different from anybody else here. You know, you like to be able to look into the bank book and say, well, you know, if the water heater went out, I think I could pay for a new water heater. It wouldn't, wouldn't be a horrible thing. And there's nothing wrong with planning for the future. God talks about that in his, in his scripture. But we do that all within the context of the realization that today is what God is giving me. And whether I have a big bank account or a small bank account, whether I have a car that runs well or a car that needs to go into the shop, no matter what my circumstances in life are, God, please give me today what I need for today. Wisdom, courage, strength, clarity of thought and mind, whatever it is that I need for today, God, give me today's portion. Next is to forgive us our debts. I was reading an article just the other day about the, the forgiveness of school loans and the school loan crisis that we have created, by the way, in our country. We have created this monster and now we're having to live with the consequences of it. College tuition since 2020 has increased 178%. What's the reason for that? Greed. Absolutely. Greed on the part of colleges. We've created this monster. No? We'd love to have our debts forgiven in the physical world. But as big as those debts might be, we have a debt that is far greater. It is that debt of our soul to our Creator. We have sinned against Him. And since He is an infinite being, our sin against Him is infinite in size. And it cannot be satisfied by anything in this finite world. It cannot be satisfied by anything within us. We can't solve our sin problem. Only Jesus, the Son of God, can solve that problem for us. He is the one who left heaven's splendor, came to this earth, died on the cross, took the punishment of God upon himself for the sin of the world. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He took that on himself, and in time and space, don't ask me how he did it, but he paid the penalty for our sin. So that now we who come to him by faith, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We can have our sin forgiven, our debt completely gone, cleansed by the blood of Christ. He makes it contingent, though, doesn't he? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There is nothing uglier than an unforgiving spirit. 
Have you ever run into somebody who was unforgiving? I mean, maybe, maybe you did something, said something to someone that offended them, and, and maybe it wasn't your intention to do that. It, it may have been simply a, just a, a social error on your part. But they took such offense to it, and, and they are, have such an important view of themselves, and they are so perfect in themselves that they, they can't extend forgiveness to anybody else. And they hold grudges. I mean, they are champion gold medal grudge holders. You ever met anybody like that? That spirit of unforgiveness is ugly, isn't it? God's not like that. God is very, very willing to forgive our sin. And he wants us to extend that same forgiveness to others. That's so important. He goes on in the prayer. He says, don't lead us into temptation there in verse 13. Do not lead us into temptation. Now we have to understand, the word temptation, we so often associate it with moral temptation. You know, a, a, an urge, a push to sin. The word is more generic than that. It means any kind of a trial or a test. Don't let us, don't lead us into times of trial and testings. Why would we pray that God would not lead us into times of testing? I think for this, at least this is why I do it. Because I know some of my weaknesses and I'm not very strong, and God, please don't test me because I'm not sure that I'm going to pass the test. Have mercy on me. Don't put me in a situation. Don't let me get into a situation where I'm likely to fail. Deliver me from evil. Oh, Satan loves to set traps and snares. He, he can't make us sin, but he can encourage us to sin. And Satan is a very real being, a very fallen angel, a, a, a creator or, or generator, I should say, of evil. He doesn't create anything. He generates evil. And, and, and he'd love to get us all tripped up and you know, mess up our lives. But we need to pray, God, don't lead me into times of testing, but, but deliver me from evil. It's too big. I, I, can't, I can't handle it. But God can handle it for us. God can handle it for us. And then he says, this is the reason why we pray this, because God is, has the kingdom and the power and the glory, and it's all his. It doesn't belong to us. It's not ours. It's his kingdom. It's his power. It's his glory. And then that little word, amen. It comes from the Hebrew word emeth, meaning truth. It's, it's kind of like a little exclamation point that says, this is true, Lord. This, this is a true expression of my heart. This is, I, I believe these things. I believe you can do these things. This is my expression of dependence upon you. That's what Jesus taught about prayer. Constantly throughout his ministry. But was he one of those that taught and never did? Oh, no. Let's look at some of the practice of prayer. And I didn't list them there. There's a long list. I'm just going to mention them. 
and you can check them out. Next time you're reading through the Gospels, through any one of the four Gospels, circle the number of times where Jesus is praying, okay? Here's a list. Luke chapter 3 at his baptism. Luke chapter 4 at the beginning of his ministry. Mark chapter 1 when he rose up early while it was dark and he prayed. Luke chapter 5 when his fame spread and the multitudes were coming to listen to him. Um, Luke chapter 6 when his enemies were seeking to destroy him. Again Luke chapter 6 before he chose the 12 apostles. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives praise to his Father. Father, I praise you that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent of this world, but you've revealed them to babes. He's thanking God for how God has revealed himself to ordinary folks. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, he spends a night in prayer alone with his heavenly Father. In Luke chapter 9, he prays alone when he's about to reveal to his disciples his coming death. Luke chapter 9 again when he's transfigured there on the Mount of Transfiguration and he, he appears in his glory. Later on in Luke 10 after a great spiritual victory, Jesus took time to pray. How many times have you prayed, have I prayed, after we've seen God's hand at work and, and it's, it's one of these, you know, yes, praise God moments. Have we stopped to pray and thank God for what he's done? Because most of the time we just keep charging on. Victory is an extremely dangerous position to be in. Because as soon as you're victorious, what do you tend to do? You let your guard down, right? I mean, the battle's won. The thing is accomplished. How wonderful. Let's sit back and relax. Satan never sits back and relaxes. And so as soon as the victory is won, the next battle is already underway. We need to be in prayer. John chapter 12, when Jesus' soul was troubled as he contemplated going to the cross, he thanked God for his provision of the bread and the cup there in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is thanking his heavenly Father for making Jesus the sacrifice that the bread and the cup represented. That's amazing. When you stop and think about that, how many of us would say, Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be persecuted for your name's sake. Father, thank you for allowing me to become a martyr for the glory of Jesus Christ. If you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's a humbling experience because those were some of the prayers that the early martyrs of the church would pray. In the book of Acts, we see that after they were persecuted and they got back together, they all prayed, thank you that we were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Have we ever prayed a prayer like that? Jesus in Luke chapter 22 goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane as was his custom to pray. How do you think Judas knew where to go find Jesus? Because he knew that whenever Jesus was in Jerusalem, there was a real high probability that he was going to be out there in the garden praying. I could go on. I've got a list of 23 or 4 things. What's Jesus doing now? He was a man, I mean, he, he put into practice what he preached, didn't he? 
He was constantly in prayer. What's he doing now? Does Jesus still pray? We, we sang a song here just a minute ago about uh, our, our, our current plea before the throne. Well, look at or consider Romans 8.34. In the midst of, of this passage on the work of the Holy Spirit, Paul asks the question, who is he who condemns? In other words, who's the one that's going to bring a charge against one of God's children? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Jesus, right now, at this very moment, I can tell you where he is. He's there before the right hand of God the Father and he's praying for you if you are his child. That's what he's doing right now. Interceding before the Father on your behalf, on my behalf. So well, that's only once in Scripture. Well, how about Hebrews 7.25? Therefore, speaking of Christ, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. In the context, the question has arisen there in Hebrews. You know, you, you come to salvation at this point in time, but you don't immediately go to heaven. You live life. So how are you going to get through life are you going to get through intact? Is it possible that, you know, you're going to live for a while and Satan's going to overwhelm you and you're going to lose everything and be lost for eternity? No! Jesus lives forever to make intercession for you day by day by day by day. He is able to bring you from the point of salvation to the place of salvation. His very presence. It's not in question. There's no doubt there. Jesus is alive. He is the pattern. He is the one who's gone before and he ever lives to make intercession for us. When you are at the darkest point of your life and you are despairing and wondering if God cares, if anybody knows, Jesus is praying for you before the Father's throne. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. You are not hopeless and without help. Whatever the circumstance, Jesus prays for you. So what should our prayer life look like? I mean, yeah, that's Jesus. I mean, after all, he is God, right? Yes, he is. But remember, he's also 100% human as well. I, I can't explain one person, two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. Please don't ask me to understand, explain it, because I can't. But the reality is Jesus lives and does what he has taught us to do, and we can follow that example. We can follow that example. Let's think about some prayer requests. I gave you a list, but let me just mention a few. Romans chapter 10, verse 1, the salvation of Israel. The nation of Israel is still God's chosen people, and though they are still in rebellion against him, and they, for the majority, deny that Jesus is the Messiah, they're still looking for the Messiah, 
We nevertheless need to pray that God will open their eyes and their hearts and that they would turn to the Lord Jesus and be saved. When have we prayed for the nation of Israel lately? For the Jewish people who live perhaps in our own community. Maybe it's a doctor, maybe it's a lawyer, maybe it's a, a pharmacist, maybe it's, maybe it's a friend down the street. I don't know, but you know them and they're Jewish and, and they don't know Christ as their Savior. They, they don't understand that whole Messiah thing. Have you prayed for them? Have you asked God to open their eyes? They are his specially chosen people. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Paul writes, Now I pray to God that you do no evil. When was the last time that you prayed for your fellow Christians to live a holy life and to do no evil? When was the last time you prayed that for yourself? God, help me to live a holy life. Help me to do nothing that is evil. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It reads this way. For this reason... We also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, Paul is writing, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. When did we pray those kinds of things for our fellow believers? When did we pray them for ourselves? To say, God, fill my brother in Christ with all wisdom and spiritual knowledge. I hope that you pray that for me. I really do. Because it's, it's, it's sometimes terrifying to have to prepare a message. I mean, who am I? Who, who am I to stand up and speak concerning God's Word? But if we pray for one another, and your Sunday school teachers, the same way. Your children's Sunday school teachers, the same way. They're, they're speaking word, God's Word to the most impressionable minds in the world. Do you pray for your children's Sunday school teachers? to have an understanding of the word that they're trying to proclaim and that they can proclaim it effectively to your children and grandchildren? What a, what a, what a prayer life this is. To live in a way that honors God. To live a life of integrity. To do what's right at work even though nobody's watching. To be honest and faithful before all people. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 reads this, Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To pray that they would prove to be worthy of their calling that they live up to it, in other words. Not that we're worthy to be called. No, 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 we're not worthy to be called at all. But when God in his mercy and his grace calls us to himself, then we have something to live up to. A standard to which we should attain. And, and to pray for one another. God, help my brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me to, to grow up and to attain that that worthiness 
to which you have called us. Help us to be good Christians. Christ ones. Little Christs, if you will. Help us to, to live in such a way that people see us and they see the difference. Oh, beloved. Our fellowship with God consists of coming apart and resting for a while with Him, focusing on Him, not permitting all the distractions of the world to lead us away. We have to set that time. We have to guard that time. If, if we don't, we'll never have it. We'll fill up our day with everything else. And sometimes we'll fill it up with good stuff, things at church and so forth. But what happens is it keeps us from spending time with him. It keeps us from prayer. We're so busy that we don't have time to pray. And that's wrong. That's wrong. Our fellowship comes from spending time with God and it comes from spending time in prayer. I included a couple quotations here from a fellow named E.M. Bounds. Now you may not recognize the name of Edward McKenzie Bounds. He was born in 1835. He died in 1913. He was a pastor in the Methodist Episcopal Church South. He was alive, of course, during the American Civil War. Um, he served, well, he was required to take an oath of allegiance to the United States or pay $500, and he didn't want to do either one of those because uh, of what he believed, and he didn't want see that it was necessary to raise all that kind of money. So he was branded as a traitor by the the northern government, the U.S. government, he was arrested and put into prison and so forth, and he was eventually released, and he became a chaplain in the Confederate Army, not because he believed in the Confederate cause at all, because he was a staunch abolitionist. He did not approve of slavery in the least, but he became a chaplain in the Confederate Army because he was concerned for the souls of those men. He was pretty effective in leading many of them to Christ. After the war, he pastored this church and was a man who was given to writing. He wrote a total of 12 books, but only two of them were published during his lifetime. The other 10 were published after he died. And of the 12 books that he wrote, nine of them were on the subject of prayer. Those who knew E.M. Bounds, who were his contemporaries, uh, left ample testimony to the fact that this was a man who prayed what he preached. And he was, was consistent in his prayer life. And prayer was vital to him. Let me just read these. I know you've got them there, but I want us to think about them for a minute. Few Christians have anything but a vague idea of the power of prayer. Fewer still have any experience of that power. The church seems almost wholly unaware of the power God puts into her hand. This spiritual carte blanche on the infinite resources of God's wisdom and power is rarely, if ever, used, never used to the full measure of honoring God. I'm reminded of James chapter 1, verse 5. 
It says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and doesn't withhold. How many times are we faced with a decision and we'll talk to everybody but God? We, we've got that infinite resource and it's right there and we don't take advantage of it. Mr. Bounds goes on to say, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. Beloved, prayer's hard work. It is. It interrupts our day. But I can tell you that on those occasions, especially when I have forced myself to start praying, and sometimes that happens, I find that before very long, it's not a forced thing anymore. It's something that I've wanted to do and that I enjoy doing. And it's like drinking a nice, cool glass of water on a blistering hot day. I don't have to force myself anymore. And you lose track of time because you're spending time with the author of time. And isn't it interesting how many times in my life I've been able to accomplish so much more after prayer than before. The final one says, if God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, he will be in the last place the remainder of the day. It's absolutely true. Absolutely true. So, beloved, for us, I guess our, our challenge is to revise our prayer lives. To get one if we don't have one yet. To develop it. To realize the blessing and the privilege that we have of coming before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe, God Almighty, and pouring out our hearts to Him and asking Him to supply our daily needs and asking him to help us to grow in our faith and in our obedience so that we reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. Beloved, stop neglecting prayer and become a person who loves to enter into fellowship with their Savior, with their Heavenly Father with the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us through prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word because it challenges us. It, it makes us, it forces us to see what we don't want to see. And it sets before us the joys of that relationship that we have with you. Lord, our own inner self tends to want to ignore these things. We still, even as redeemed people, we still want to do what we want to do. And, and it's hard for us. Oh, Father, please keep working in our lives. Keep drawing us to yourself. Work in us in such a way, Father, that we really do pay attention to what your Spirit says through your Word. Help us to become people of prayer. Help us to become people who are marked, known by the fact that we spend time.
time with Jesus in the Word and in prayer. Father, may these things become increasingly evident in our lives, and may we shine as brighter and brighter testimonies to the glory of God in this increasingly dark world. Oh, Father, help us to become people who are known by the vitality of our prayer lives. We ask these things for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.